now for our feature presentation. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of How About This Movie. This week we watched Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, mm-hmm. starring Michael Sarah, directed by Edgar Wright. Um, there's a bunch of other people in it as well. Uh, Chris Evans played a supporting role. Uh, yeah, it was a, kind of a who's who of mm-hmm. people in supporting roles. Like you said, Chris Evans. Brandon Routh has definitely had his moments where he's been a very relevant person. Mm-hmm. Mary Elizabeth Winstead played right. Ramona Flowers. Um, obviously, Anna Kendrick, Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, supporting characters, there's a, a lot of very talented, pretty well-known people. Mae Whitman. Mae Whitman was in the film. Uh, she isn't deaf. I definitely would think she doesn't have the same kind of name recognition as some of those others we listed before. She did play kind of a bigger role than the other supporting actors, though. Yes. Yeah, she definitely got more screen time, I think. Than most of them, probably. Um, I mean, I had never heard of Scott Pilgrim before, but it seems to have at least somewhat of a cult following. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think the movie kind of opened the doors for more people to read the graphic novel. Oh, yeah, I think I think it, sure. it stemmed from the small cult following that the graphic novel had, and then the film, you know, caught a wider audience, and it was just more, it was, you know, more benefit to the the graphic novel in the end. Mm-hmm. Agreed. A s- similar effect to The Walking Dead. You know, The Walking Dead had its had its audience, but I know a lot of people started reading the comic books after watching The Walking Dead. So I think it's a a pretty similar reaction. Yeah. Definitely, the people I know that actually read the graphic novels only did so because of the movie. Yeah, I didn't even know the graphic novels were a thing until about twenty minutes ago. Um, I've never read them. Yeah. I haven't played the video game, which I believe came out after the movie. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing until about 20 minutes ago as well. Yeah. I read the first of, I believe, six. It was like a whole series. Mm-hmm. And the working title was uh, Scott Pilgrim's Little Life or something like that, Little Precious Life, which was the first book, I believe. Yeah, I'm going to check those out for sure. Yeah. Might be. It might be worth a read. What's a graphic novel take to read? A couple minutes? Yeah. I mean, the things I love about the film, I don't think would be in the graphic novel. So I don't know if I would be interested in the graphic novel, but I love the movie. Yeah, yeah I could see that. Like, a lot of the fun little visual elements and things like that. I'd, I mean, I'm sure they would still work into the into the graphic novel, but I just don't think it would translate as well. I think the best part about this movie is how fun it was to watch with different little different little jokes and things like that that they mm-hmm. made throughout the film. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, little video game themes here and there. And then that part where, like, they did the whole thing as though it was, like, an episode of Seinfeld, just that little bit um, with mm-hmm. the Seinfeld music and the laugh track and everything. It was, it, it just seemed like a fun movie. Like, they had fun making it. It was fun to watch. It, it really translated. Yeah. Uh, it was, and I just, yeah, just kind of back to your point, I don't think that would work its way into the graphic novels so well. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim, played by Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah, famous for the Superbad movie, um, Youth and Revolt. A lot of, almost a lot of, like, teenage coming-of-age movies, even though he's not a teenager. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, Mid-30, mid-20s. Arrested Development. I mean, that's what I know Michael Sarah from originally, because... Yeah, I'd probably think that's probably yeah. where most people know him from. I guess he had some but... famous television show he was on in Canada, then he started acting at a... Much younger age, but 
I couldn't even tell you what it was. So, I mean, that's not to discredit the um, the, the product or the anything like that, but I know Michael Sarah from Superbad and uh, before that, Arrested Development. I've never watched Arrested Development. So when I think Michael Sarah, I think Juno. Oh, yeah. See? Juno, too. Just yeah. a bunch of, like, coming-of-age stories. Yep. I mean, they're all presented slightly different, and they're all, you know, most of them are pretty funny. But in the end, it's it's pretty it's usually a story about a teenager going through some sort of trial and getting out the other side. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Scott Pilgrim, he is 22 years old, but... Yeah, he's definitely, definitely an adult. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim, but, um, so that one doesn't necessarily he's fit adult-ish. the mold. adult-ish. Yeah. yeah, 22. I mean, he, he's legally an adult, but he functions, age in the US. he functions similarly to a child. <laughs> yep. Obviously, like we said, there's a lot of supporting actors that have pretty successful careers of their, their own as well. I mean, Chris Evans with the... Uh, Lucas Lee. <laughs> yeah, Lucas Lee. Chris Evans with the uh, very successful British radio show. Wait, that's a different Chris Evans. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind, you guys. Sorry. What's what's this one famous for? Uh, Probably for being in Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Snowpiercer. Yeah, Chris, Chris Evans, everyone knows from Snowpiercer. Mm. Um, I don't know that he's done a whole lot else. Uh, I, he was in the Fantastic Four. That's right. Those yep. great, great superhero movies, oh. the Fantastic Four. Flame on, as I <laughs> always say. Flame on. I start my day with flame on. I don't. I don't. If if I don't say flame on, it's like my coffee. If I don't say flame on, I just can't get through the day. <laughs> I can't recall anything else has been in there. No, I I think that's probably it. I'm not gonna um, lie. Pretty easily confused with, you know. The more the much more famous Chris Evans, the British talk so, talk show host, and then Anna Kendrick, obviously, probably most notable for Pitch Perfect, if I had to guess. Yeah, Just Twilight. Say. Oh yeah, she was in Twilight. <laughs> I wouldn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I only know that because of her. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess she was also in Twilight. I forgot about that. Yep, she was the uh, human best friend that like she kind of tries to buddy with up in Forks. And then Aubrey Plaza really for me it's Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. I mean she's Parks been in she's been in other movie. other movies that I've found entertaining, but I mean I, I if someone was like show me Aubrey Plaza's work, I would be like all right, Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like Dirty Grandpa or hell whatever else she's in. I've been I've enjoyed other things I've seen her in, but yeah. I'm not going to show him Scott Pilgrim. I'm like, let's sit down, let's watch every episode of Parks and Rec except for the first season. Yeah. <laughs> when I can't think of Aubrey Plaza's name, I look at Daxton and say, April, April Ludgate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know anything that anyone else in this movie has been in, though. Um, I already forgot Ramona's name. You know uh, the uh, vegan guy. Ah, uh, that's right. I don't think we yeah. mentioned Brandon Routh is in this as... Super vegan. He is uh, Adam on Legends of Tomorrow, if that show's still on and if Todd he's still Ingram on it. Todd Ingram is his character's name. Oh. That's Todd. I know. You know? Um, and uh, obviously, pretty famous for a failed attempt at a Superman reboot. Yep. Uh, don't blame him for that. I think Superman is a hard character to... To get mm-hmm. just right in a oh, film adaptation. Most of the writers for that movie. Yeah. Know. But I don't really know much else about Brendan Roth's career. 
I know when he is at panels in a certain convention that we can't say anymore because they've lost the rights to that name. Um, he does like to equate everything to Superman. So you ask him how one project was and he'll just tell you that, oh, that reminds me of when I was on Superman. I think he's really proud that he was Superman. But he shouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) Just because the movie was such a fucking bomb. I'm definitely not knocking his performance in a movie that I've never seen. (laughs) Uh, What's the movie Envy Ingram is going to be in? Oh, um, that's right. Uh, What is her name? Brie Larson, right? Brie Larson is going to be Captain Marvel, obviously. Um, She's had some some other good roles. She was in Free Fire, uh, which was a pretty fun movie, honestly. Um, We won't get into that, but she was in Free Fire. She she was in 21 Jump Street. Was she? Yeah. Oh, dang. She was the Jonah Hill's love interest in 21 Jump Street. I'm a fan of Brie Larson's work as well. I mean, like, like we said, just jam-packed movie with great stars that are taking supporting roles and it just it honestly seemed like an not an ego-driven movie it seemed like a fun movie Mm -hmm. like how it's a very video game themed movie and so many superheroes came out of it yeah Yeah, may whitman um probably most famous for parenthood also was on rest development with michael Sarah. And, uh... Voiced Katara on Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, she did do a fair amount of... She does a lot of voiceover She work. does a lot of voice acting work, which is probably the cushiest job in Hollywood. If I was ever to get a lucky break like that and start mm-hmm. acting, it would purely be wanting to do voice acting. Because you can do so many jobs. She's in mm-hmm. so many movies. The chick who does, um... The kid on Fairly Odd Parents, she does a lot of voices. Oh, yeah. There's a Vic Mignogna... He does a shitload of voices as mm-hmm. well. So they're like pretty much ninety percent. I would say most of the most of the voice acting is done by about five people. Yeah. I'd be watching like uh, the original Justice League animated TV series. Daxon would be like naming off all the voice actors. I do be that. Like, that's this person. Oh, that's that person again. Oh, that's that same person voicing these three characters that are all in one scene. I, I do do that. <laughs> I'm obnoxious. Um, it's impressive. But obnoxious. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't do it to be obnoxious, but it just is a side effect of me doing that. Um, the movie is directed by one of my... I don't want to call him one of my favorite directors, um, just because his body of work is, you know, it's relatively limited. Mm-hmm. But um, I think everything he's done, he's done kind of his way, and he's had he's had a good time making an entertaining movie. Yeah. Uh, the movie's directed by Edgar Wright. Uh, probably most notable for directing the Cornetto Trilogy. That's the Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and uh, The World's End. And you can see a lot of those same influences that he had on those movies in this movie. Yeah. With different, diff- just different like cinematography decisions. I don't, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, different, <laughs> different decisions he made with, with filming the film. Um, you know, jump cuts and what's the word here? Probably more like cliche things. And like going kind of over the top, but not just kind of making a movie that he's not taking too seriously. Yeah. Um, but what do you mean by jump cuts? Jump cuts probably not the word I want, but like, like if you're looking at somebody, it looks to somebody else and it goes back and it's different. Yeah, not not really what I'm going for there. I noticed that happened a lot with Scott and his hat. That yeah, mm-hmm. that is one thing that he does. But I'm thinking like the quick cuts between like, so like for example on Hot Fuzz or on Shaun of the Dead, they're like. Oh, what do we do now? And then it just cuts to Sean 
throwing out the pork snacks and pouring a beer. Like okay. those kinds of things. Okay. Those kinds of things is what I'm kind of referring to. But yeah, I, th- uh, I really like the choices he makes as a director. I think he does a good job. Yeah, I agree. I, I do like the, uh, I do like that trilogy. Oh yeah. Incredibly it's, funny. It's a, yeah, it's such a good time. Just sit down. I mean, I didn't realize that it was really done as a trilogy, but you know. Yeah. Once you kind of hear the reasoning behind it, it makes sense. But yeah, it's it's a good time. I think Edgar Wright is probably more of an up-and-coming director, I would assume, since he's got five five major titles under his belt. It would have been six or seven if he could have worked out his deal with Marvel and finished Ant-Man. Um, but, you know, he's probably more of an up-and-coming director with only five major titles under his belt. Yeah. If you even want to call some of these titles major titles. Oh, uh, Baby Driver had a lot yeah. of uh, publicity. Baby Driver would be the only one I would call a major title. Yeah. Um, I know Scott Pilgrim and then the Cornetto Trilogy is all really, are all really good movies. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that you would call any of them a major title. No, I think maybe Shaun of the Dead was probably the most popular out of the Cornetto yeah. Trilogy. But that one definitely was. wasn't a major title. Like, yeah. I saw one preview for it and then I didn't even know that it came out until like a year after it had been released. Yeah. Um, but still... Talent, talented director, and I can't wait to see more from Edgar. Mm-hmm. According to IMDb, this is the only film that is rated PG-13 in America. That he's directed. Yep. Yeah, that's more more his uh, more his style with some strong language and mm-hmm. some action <laughs> action sequences that may create some some opportunity for some gore to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, as far as the movie, I would say it's it's kind of a a love story. I mean, at its at its core, mm-hmm. um, just with without overthinking it, it's it's a, a love story where you know it's a boy meets girl. Boy meets girl. Mm-hmm. Boy falls in love with girl. Boy's already dating a different girl. <laughs> boy has to fight seven <laughs> evil exes. Then, then yeah, a happy ending. It's it's a pretty standard storytelling method um, yeah. for you know it's for a love story. There's always a conflict and a resolution and some sort of meet cute where he tells a story about Pac-Man pretty terribly. <laughs> I know that's how I talk to every girl I've ever met. I tell them the Paku Paku story. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I love the comparison of when he's telling the story to Knives and she thinks it's so cool and he's just like super confident about it. And then he tries to tell it to Ramona and it's just completely off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She definitely has an effect on him that Knives Chow does not yeah i think uh it was because he was just dating knives to just be dating somebody because of his breakup with envy was such a fucking disaster for him i agree can can we talk about the fact that scott pilgrim kind of sounds like a dirtbag though like we're supposed to feel bad like a dirtbag we're supposed to feel bad for him because of the bad breakup with envy but he's dating a child and he cheats on the child with ramona and then when he is doing the whole chasing Ramona part before he actually, you know, meets her, Aubrey Plaza's character, Julie, Julie, just lists off this long name of women that Scott has hurt and says, don't go near Aubrey Plaza or uh, Ramo- <laughs> Ramona Flowers. Don't go near Ramona. Naming off of off their uh, female drummer who is seen just... Not blinking, just staring. <laughs> lasers. Just, just terrifying everyone. I don't know if she blinks in the movie. Just 
No. Again, she's proving Cartman's point about gingers not having <laughs> souls. Um, but yeah, maybe Scott Pilgrim is a scumbag. I think he has had a hard dating life. Um, there has been issues in the past, but I don't know if it's just like a he doesn't deserve happiness. No, I would. I definitely wouldn't say that. It's just he's. I think he uh, probably a little bit selfish in his relationships. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, I guess it's kind of what makes uh, uh, his character really kind of more of a hero in the end. Uh, because he did all that stuff in the movie to be with Ramona. That, that is a good so point. He um, just, he, like, shows his transformation. Like, hey, they mentioned he is probably kind of a scumbag. But, like, the entire movie is based around him fighting for somebody else. And you can see the struggle with him having to do so much for Ramona with their fight and his digs at her dating history. Mm-hmm. With the, hey, can you tell me if there's somebody in this bar that you haven't slept with? Yeah. And stuff like that. Which I feel would be an easy list because the league is only seven X's. Mm-hmm. And she's not from Canada. She's from New York. I feel like it'd be a pretty easy, a pretty long list of people she hadn't slept with in that bar. That was an unnecessary thing for him to say. Mm-hmm. Scumbag. It was just <laughs> kind of uh, being a dick and yeah. trying to like illustrate the fact that uh, the amount of people that he actually has to fight. It's a it's quite a task. Kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And I like her response to that specific scene where he wanted a list, and she's like, "Oh, should I laminate laminate it for you?" And then when she gives him the list, it's laminated. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that uh, that whole scene was actually pretty pretty good. There was a lot of character development in that scene alone. Yeah. Just goes to show you shouldn't give up just when it gets hard. It might be worth it in the end. Might not. Never give up. Never surrender. <laughs> Never gonna give you up. <laughs> oh my goodness, no. Um, <laughs> oh goodness, what was I gonna say? Oh, I loved the uh, the very, I don't know that it's subtle, but Scott always says 70 evil ex-boyfriends. 70 evil ex-boyfriends. And, and Ramona, it's always 70 evil exes. She doesn't just come out and say, oh, I dated a girl. She's just like 70 evil exes. This is, I, I found that entertaining. Well, I think they introduced Roxanne after um, the second fight. Yeah, she comes. It was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. We was walking down what was it, an alleyway or like a side street or some shit, and then she, she comes zooping, zipping. Yeah, so you kind of already guessed that. Yeah. Oh, fucking! She's had some by experience. Did she's you guys a little by curious? Relationship. Yeah. And- <laughs> Now Mae Whitman's a little by furious. Did you guys notice <laughs> there was, for every single one of the exes, when they first come on screen or right as they're about to come on screen, there was Those a the little numbers. numbers. Mm-hmm. So like even Mae Whitman's, even though she was the fifth ex. Um, there were the five crossing. The five, yeah. I thought that was, I mean, I'm entertained by stupid shit like that, but I thought that was kind of neat. Just yep. that little, little like, hey, here comes number one, number two, number five. That's out of order. jokes on me that it wasn't out of order yeah there was a lot of like hidden stuff in this movie which was I think pretty cool that alluded to the rest of the plot of the movie yeah Um, it was a lot of fun to watch yeah it definitely was Um, and I think the fact that they purposely made it so that it was going to be fun to watch definitely shows 
I, it was a very good movie to watch. So, uh, I think what's probably the most pressing question for me in this film, um, and I think it's a good a good thought exercise. Um, who would win in a fight? Super vegan or Superman? Well, if they're played by the same guy... They are. Then <laughs> he'd just be hitting himself. And then they'd put him in the loony bin. Because he's just like... He's just, he's just punching himself in the face. Well, you see... <laughs> but he'd know all the moves. He could just block them. So. <laughs> That's true. But then they'd put him in the loony bin because he's actively fighting and countering himself. <laughs> <laughs> now, imagine a vegan Superman. Dang. Exactly. Oh. He might actually be able to beat Goku. If the vegan and Superman were in the dark, well. the vegan would win. <laughs> we just had our camera go out on us, so we're back! Fuck the camera! Awesome oh. fight scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very high quality fight scenes for what is not really a fighting movie though it is yeah it, when i think of like fight movies this isn't what comes to mind but it's it definitely has a lot of fight elements into it mm-hmm. it does show pretty successfully that with the right choreographing and stunt doubles anyone can be a badass yeah because not to you know insult michael sarah as a warrior but i think i could take him <laughs> uh <laughs> And he looked—he looked like a real, true life badass in the movie. Oh yeah, his fighting skills were so you know mm. pretty there. Movie magic is a real thing. The, chore- the choreography was outstanding to watch. Yeah, it was really good. It was very well done. Mm-hmm. I've seen you know movies that are supposed to be fighting movies that looked way cheesier than that. Oh yeah, for sure. So respect to that. I think it definitely uh, played into the. Um, video game aspect of the movie a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Like the choreography um, really played to, hey, it really feels like they're in a video game. So I thought that was where it shined the best. The soundtrack done by a lot of mentionable people, though nobody I would say is amazing. Yeah. Was it any good? I watched the movie. I couldn't tell you if it was any good. Was it any good? I liked the sound quality, just not the soundtrack. What was well, that's it? my was personal. It like, more like punky music kind of stuff. Like they indie were rock. Mm-hmm. It was very indie rock heavy. Mm-hmm. Lots of what seemed to be Beck inspired because he did a lot of the um, musical supervision. Oh. All right. Mm-hmm. I should probably know if the soundtrack was good because I watched the freaking movie. Mm-hmm. Way to go, guys. But you were distracted by the amazing visuals, like the big speaker-to-speaker uh, speaker fight the, scene. With the dragon and the... The two yeah, dragons. Yeah, the two, the two dragons. dragons and yeah. the big gorilla-looking thing, mm-hmm. which was amazing. I know it was cheesy, but it just... It was, it was a good kind of cheesy, though. Exactly. Like, I think that's a great... It fit the movie it. perfectly. Yeah, it was a great vis- vis- visualization. I can't speak. <laughs> it, I think if those uh, graphics were in any other movie, it would not have fit. Yeah, it it the cheese the cheese has to be in specific movies that that mm-hmm. cheese does not stand alone. 
yeah. that cheese would have to be in a specific kind of movie. And it's, it played really well in Scott Pilgrim. Um, as well as just little things, you know, popping up across the screen. Uh, to when he leveled up yeah. right after that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In the style of the comic book. That's what his life looked like. Is Scott Pilgrim's head. Mm-hmm. Good kind of cheesy. It was fun. It, it looked good. Um, I think it probably looked good because they could let it look cheesy. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to make like these really good effects. They could be a little bit more cartoony and a little bit silly. Yeah. Whereas where like it's, you know, not the same as if they're like trying to make like super detailed things and it just comes out looking like duty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Straight duty. Yeah, even for being a 2010 film, it looks really good. It does, yeah. It looks quite, quite good. Or like the um, retro video game graphics that they had mm-hmm. um, mixed in with the live action. I yep. thought that was probably my favorite part of the entire movie. And all the different references to video games, like when you did level mm-hmm. up, getting the coins when you defeat an opponent, yep. stuff like that. How much do you think the end boss was worth? Well, it showed how much he was worth. Well, it was $7 billion. It was $7 billion on the score. But, so my question is, when he beats the first X, it says 1000 mm-hmm. and then gives him 240 in In legal Canadian tender. But after he beats the next boss, the next evil X, it says 2000 but the pile is exponentially bigger. That's true. And every time he beats one of the bosses... The pile is exponentially larger. Mm-hmm. So is there some sort of ratio between the value of the points to the value of the currency times something to make the make it exponentially larger? Like, did the fact that he passed on the, the music contract and killed Gideon Graves not matter because he just made, like, $800 million? Um, it's all in change, but <laughs> does it even matter? He could just go in there and sweep up all that change and live a happy life with Ramona on a beach somewhere that they own. Maybe $10,000 in coins there. I don't know. I don't think they even picked up any of the coins because remember after... um, The band did. The the band picked up some coins. The band picked up some coins. They probably picked up about $200. He never touched the coins again after the first scene where he's like, oh, 240 that's not even enough bus fare. He came walking out with uh, Nega Scott. Nega Scott. He had, he had to battle his last boss, which was himself. Nega Scott, Teenage Warhead. Which, <laughs> like, he earned the power of self-respect mm-hmm. in order to beat the boss. And then has to fight himself, yep. though he already has self-respect. Yep, he already fought and himself. He had to make sure they hammered it home. He was fighting himself <laughs> as much as he was fighting Ramona's exes. Yep. That's I think that was the whole... Very important to not just... Do things for her, but to also do them for yourself. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was uh... Scott and her self-respect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pull a sword out of my chest. <laughs> it made sense when he earned the power of love, but wouldn't the power of self-respect come from somewhere else? It's the power of love. With all powers combined. It's the power of self-respect. <laughs> <laughs> um, if they wanted to do something different for self-respect they could have but it, I, I, it didn't bother me yeah it made sense for it, like the it was technically a level it was a boss level um, 
So him having to restart the level on his uh, bonus life that he had um, from the, uh, what was it, the twins fight? Mm-hmm. The twins fight, yeah. yeah. Um, when he based it out? Yeah. Uh, that it would make sense for him to pull another sword out. Oh, yeah. But it's like a different sword, a self-respect sword. Yes. Know? I think it's time now for our famous plot holes segment. Anyone notice a plot hole? Uh, there's probably a couple I can't think of right now. Uh, well, yeah, I only noticed one small one. Um, during like each time a new character was introduced for the first time, they would show like their age and then a little bio, mm-hmm. and it showed that Stacy Pilgrim was obviously younger than Scott Pilgrim. But then when she's giving advice later in the movie, oh, yeah, she he refers him. to as big. She ref- he refers to her as big sis. Yeah. That's not how age works. Maybe it's because Michael Sarah's small in stature compared to Anna Kendrick. There's no way Anna Kendrick is like five foot three, and Michael Sarah's like five foot nothing. <laughs> I don't think that's accurate. I think he's like five foot six or seven. Maybe probably, even like as tall as he's me. He's probably close to average height. He just looks like a lanky fifteen year old. He is very lanky. He looks like a bird, and his hair's getting a little shaggy. Well, true. It is. <laughs> Cuts back to him with a hat on. <laughs> There's a lot of scenes where they do like the cuts that are just hilarious. Like when he jumps out the window. Oh, he just left. Yeah. That was fun. That was very fun. Such a fun movie. It was. Lots lots of little giggles. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't really like a lot of like hearty guffaws in the movie, but. No, I wouldn't think so. I think it was just a lot of steady It was steady, a lot of like really gigs. decent giggles. Yeah. yeah. Which made it a fun movie to yeah. watch. Mm-hmm. I mean. Is not going to be like an amazing comedy movie. I'd rather have standard, but it's still a really fun movie to watch. I'd rather have a steady stream of of gigs than like one good laugh, and then it's just kind of a regular movie after that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my I already mentioned earlier. My very favorite part was the visual, the visual effects. You know, retro video game graphics on top of the. Live action. Do you have a favorite scene? Um, favorite scene. Uh, I'm gonna probably say. Uh, it was definitely the twins fight. That was a good one. I think that one was good. Also, the um, uh, Lucas Lee fight was also super fun. Um, him and his all, all his stunt doubles. Um, and then Chris Evans' actual stunt doubles. Yeah. <laughs> And then him going down the rail on the skateboard. I thought that was visually really well done. Yeah. I think, and he just blows up at the end. <laughs> off in the distance, I thought that was fun. I think my favorite scene's that one that you kind of referenced just a minute ago where um, Knives comes to the house and Scott is running out and Wallace is kind of doing like a, a dance to like hide the different movements of Scott and then the part where Scott jumps out the window. Honestly, I thought that was kind of funny. It's just a little stupid thing, but I thought that was really funny. Mm-hmm. That part's really funny. And the uh, Seinfeld. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That that actually killed me. I was actually <laughs> found three days later with a knife in my chest from that scene. It was very funny. Um, I think my favorite part is when Ramona comes over for their date, and you just get the whole sequence of them and their personalities. Bread makes you fat. Yeah. <laughs> Love that line. Burns it all the time. That was definitely a good scene. A lot of 
lot of development um, with their. <laughs> so what makes the romance make you believe that like the fight could be worth it? Because she's pretty, she's pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Well, it's your movie, so you start. I'm gonna give this movie a solid eight out of ten. Yeah. that's a fair rating, I'd say. Great visuals, great characters, great actors. Writing yeah. is. I mean, I guess, I guess if you <laughs> combine the entire cast, it is. A, it does have great actors. Mm-hmm. Yep. Overall, pretty pretty solid. Uh, I'd probably give this movie a seven point five. Um, just because it was such a fun movie to watch, there wasn't really any parts that I hated. Um, like besides the soundtrack, I didn't dislike anything about this movie. Uh, it was very well made, very well done, um, and well acted. Um, so yeah, seven point five out of ten. Well, once again, you and I are on the same page. Uh, seven point five. I just kind of the same thing that you guys have said. It, it was such a fun movie. There was nothing to hate about it. It was. It wasn't a cinematic masterpiece. It didn't blow you away with the writing. It didn't do any of those things that it would take to be like an all-time great movie. But it's definitely an all-time fun movie. You want to sit down and have a fun two hours. Two-hour freaking movie. Didn't feel like it. I just sat there and laughed and giggled and had fun watching this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a, a 7 out of 5 for me. Or 7.5 out of 10. Perfect! <laughs> Perfect! 7 out of 5? 7 out of 5. <laughs> 7.5 out of 10, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yeah. If you like quirky movies and you like having a good time watching a movie, watch this movie. Yes. Could not agree more. Would recommend? Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 would recommend. <laughs> 7.5 out of 10 would recommend. <laughs> um, run into some... Fun facts. Fun facts. We got some facts, and they're fun. Fun facts. They're facts, and they're fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna clip that and put that in every single podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just letting you guys know. Just letting you guys know. <laughs> um, so Scott Pilgrim versus the World grossed roughly thirty-one point five million dollars. Um, that was good for the ninety-second. Highest gross of a movie in 2010. Um, some fantastic movies that ranked higher than Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in 2010 gross. Um, Step Up 3D. Who what? could forget? The Who could forget? Artistic masterpiece. Exactly. Um, Vampires Suck. Devil. Spoiler alert. It was the old lady the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Night and Day. Proof that just because Tom Cruise is in an action movie, it won't be. It's not going to be good. Um, Prince of Persia, probably the video game movie that killed all video game movies. Sex in the City Two. Didn't even know that movie was was a thing. Nope. Sex in the City Two. And the the absolute cream cream de la cream on this list. Creme de la creme. Sorry. <laughs> um, the Last Airbender M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong's The Last Airbender probably the best movie of 2010 <sighs> um, also ranked above Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and, and and it was well deserved well deserved greatest movie I have no hope in humanity 
some good movies that came out in 2010. Uh, Inception. Uh, Social Network. Social Network was an entertaining film. Um, Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3 made, made a lot of a lot of grown men cry, surprisingly. Uh, 127 Hours. Never seen it. Um, the True Grit remake. Never seen it. <laughs> uh, and uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows uh, Part 1. Wasn't there an Iron Man movie in 2010 as well? Uh, I believe that was the highest grossing movie of 2010, according to uh, whatever site I was just on looking at box offices before. Box Office Mojo, I think is what it's called. If you guys don't believe me, uh, fact the, check me. The Expendables also came out. The first one or the 51st? 51st first one. First. Sick, dude. Sick. Uh, I'm not seeing it. Oh, maybe I was wrong. Um, there was a Twilight movie in 2010. There was. Uh, was like the, the third, third or fourth highest grossing movie of the year. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't watch it. It is a quote. Um, some other fun things that they did in the movie. Um, Ramona mentions the whole Punched in the Moon by Super Vegan. Uh, Todd, what the fuck ever. And if you actually look carefully while they're doing the scenes at night, you can see that the moon is always full and it does, in fact, have a hole in it. Mm. Um, Carly kind of alluded to this already, um, but the stunt doubles for the, was it Lucas Lee? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Stunt doubles that portrayed Lucas Lee's stunt doubles are Chris Evans' actual true-to-life stunt doubles that he uses. Um, so that was... I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the scene where Scott orders his package and Ramona delivers the package, he uh, Michael Sarah actually throws the box over his shoulder. Uh, and that was a scene that took about 30-some 30, 30 takes to, to do. Um Definitely should have brought in the trick shot experts of Dude Perfect to consult mm. on that. <laughs> Were Dude Perfect around in 2002? Pretty sure. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, some things that Edgar Wright... I'm going to do Edgar Wright and then I'll get into your list here. Some things Edgar Wright has been quoted saying or things he's mentioned uh, since filming the movie. Um, he really wanted no British actors because it was his first American release. He wanted to have... Just American actors. And, um, North American. North American. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> the gentleman that played Matthew Patel. Sorry, I'm not going to try to say the name because I'll completely butcher it. Uh, but the gentleman that played Matthew Patel actually skated by his uh, audition um, without using an English accent just so he could get the role as Matthew Patel. And as we can see, it skyrocketed him into fame everywhere. So it's <laughs> definitely worth it. Um, and he was from London, England. Yes. I, yeah. Sorry if I, if that wasn't clear from me just saying it in a British accent. Thank you for clearing that up. I'm uh, not sniffing. I'm being serious. I'll take a crack at this. Satya Baba. Satya Baba. That's not nearly as hard as I thought it was, but I'm still probably fucking it up. I'm also <laughs> probably fucking it up. Um, Edgar Wright got the rights to use the music from Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, because he wrote a letter to Nintendo, and in that letter, he referred to the music from that game. He referred to it as the nursery rhyme of this generation. His generation? Eh. The, the generation. The generation. 
nursery rhyme of the generation. Um, and I guess that resonated with them or something because they obviously ended up giving the, uh, the rights. I thought that was kind of just kind of a neat way to look at it from his perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I didn't think of until I read it was that this movie's filmed similarly to the style of how a musical is filmed. But instead of breaking into song numbers, it's all fighting. So every time you would think there would be a musical break for a musical, there's a fight. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about that until I saw it, but after after seeing that, it was it was pretty pretty clear that that was something that they were doing. Mm-hmm. I also read that um, during the Matthew Patel scene, uh, it was supposed to be um, him going back and forth with Sex Bobon, um in like a musical number type deal. But they ended up just making it uh, Matthew Patel. Him and his demon hipster chicks. Yeah, demon hipster chicks. <laughs> I liked the the Bollywood influence there. Um, I'm not like a big Bollywood fan, but there's some things they do that are kind of entertaining for me. So I liked the Bollywood uh, theme to that. Uh, someone actually took time to write down all of the answers uh, on the wheel in Scott's head when he's asked about Knives by Ramona. Um, so we took those down and we wanted to share those with you so you didn't have to be that person with no life. Um, the answers go as follows. Uh, she's nobody. She's 40. Idiot. No speaker English. When's dinner? Uh. You tell Pac-Man story. No, you are. Pass out. It was nothing. Who, her, and, of course, I gotta pee. I gotta pee on her. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the star on Ramona's bag changes colors with her hair. Thought that was a nice little thing, um, just to show the, just another little thing that changes about her because she changes her hair like every week and a half. Yep, mm-hmm. that would be ten days. <laughs> I can do math. It'd be ten point five days. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the first battle of the bands, Scott is seen wearing. A Plum Tree t-shirt. Plum Tree is an all-girl indie rock band that released the song Scott Pilgrim on their 1998 album Predicts the Future. The song became inspiration for Brendan Lee O'Malley, Brandon Lee O'Malley, excuse me, to create the graphic novel's title character. Scott Pilgrim. (laughs) That was a pretty good, uh, pretty cool little fact. Yeah, that was... I that, think that one was probably my favorite. Yeah. I like how he can recognize like his inspiration and plug it in. Yeah. Like, right. hey, listen to this band no one's ever heard of. They're dope. This, or, is, this is my inspiration. This, this is, is the inspiration. origin. I'll probably check them out. Plum Tree. Plum Tree. Yeah. Plum Tree. Check them out. iTunes.com slash Plum Tree. In the graphic novel, uh, Todd punches a second hole in the moon for Envy Adams. Because he is an unoriginal twat. I wonder how he gets his vegan powers back. I know, right? They're taken away by the Punisher. Well, <laughs> they were taken <laughs> away by the Punisher. Thomas Paine, uh, uncredited as one of the members of the vegan police. And as we all know, Thomas Paine is the Punisher. He probably punched the hole in the moon, though, before they took the vegan powers. Because, you know, they date for a little bit. So that would be my assumption, is that they... In the graphic novel. Ellen Wong made two t-shirts to, for... Sex Bomb merch. Um, one was featured in the film. That was the one that Edgar Wright chose. 
um, as well as one that you can see on the DVD extras. I think that was pretty cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the flashbacks in the movie are done in the style of the graphic novel. That's true, they are. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice that. Um, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate everyone out there list- that listens to the podcast. Um, all eight of you. Yep. I think we are definitely <laughs> up to a good solid five five listeners, including the three of us here at the table. We love all of you. But yeah, feel free to follow us. You know, we're on all of the platforms, um, just under Jekyll Studios. Again, it's J-E-C-L-L Studios. One word. That's Twitter, Facebook, Insta, YouTube. And we do have our Patreon account up and running now. Um, obviously, that's not a please donate to us. But if that is something you are interested in doing, we have that set up now. So that's something that we would be able to do as well. Goes to us getting better recording shit. <laughs> better recording equipment. Um, cameras that don't die during the middle of a podcast. <laughs> um, you know, all the, all the things we need to keep doing what we are enjoying doing and hopefully you're enjoying listening to. So. If you're listening mm-hmm. to this on YouTube, links are in the description. Yeah. So really, thank you a lot. Um, remember, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Mm-hmm. Leave us a comment, suggest a movie. We'd love to, we'd love to watch a movie you guys want to hear us talk about. And then, obviously, if you're going to subscribe, make sure you hit that notification bell. We already have a listener suggestion in the works. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, next movie that we're going to do, one of my favorite zombie movies of all time, Dead Alive, uh, directed by Peter Jackson, uh, who, as we all know, did uh, Lord of the Rings and Hobbit um, trilogies. So, I'm excited. All right, guys, that's everything from us. And as always, bread makes you fat.